We are continuing on with the Heidelberg Catechism. We have come to Lord's Day 29 and 30 here in Redeemer about the Lord's Supper, the last two about the Lord's Supper. So Lord's Day 29 and 30. Are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No, just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ, it is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of sacraments. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? Why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are certainly ours, as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit we are grafted into Christ who with his true body is now in heaven, the right hand of the Father. And this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ, unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine, and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ, and an accursed idolatry. Who are to come to the table of the Lord? Those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them, and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, for then the covenant of God would be profaned and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. As far as the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit proclaims in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
certainly not a happy diagnosis of the human heart. And the unpleasant fact is that we face every day, sin continually arises out of our hearts. Sometimes we struggle against the same sinful desire again and again. Sometimes we think we have overcome a particular sin, and then years later, oh, there it's popped up again. And that's our hearts. It might shock us at times what we, what we see coming out of our hearts. Right? Thoughts, desires, you name it. It's then we're faced with our own depravity, our own sin. Now, that might sound depressing, a depressing way to begin a sermon, but there's another reality that we can joyfully embrace. The problem of our sinful hearts is not too hard for our Lord Jesus Christ to overcome or the Holy Spirit to overcome. Oh, he's at work in us. And his saving work reaches right to the root of our problem, right to our sinful hearts. And as we hope to see this afternoon, this is something the Lord's Supper teaches us as well. As we, as we learn about the sacraments, we want to know, what's the message of the sacraments? And, and how does that help us when we... When we do face the, the sin that arises out of our hearts every day. So, as I preach you God's word this afternoon, I'll do so under the following theme and points. The Lord's Supper teaches us that Christ's saving work reaches right to the root of our problem, our sinful hearts. And in the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ, he feeds us with spiritual food. He covers our sin with his saving work. And he also calls us to partake with repentant hearts. So, as we begin this first point, I'd like to point out to you, or just take note of, Jesus' words when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he said about the bread, this is my body. And it turns out, as you look through church history, this is one of the most controversial statements debated in church history. And you, as you study history, yeah, large disagreements even between the reformers came about because of these words. And there, are, there have been roughly four different positions of what Christ is saying in these words. It's important for us to understand what they are. First, there's the Roman Catholic teaching. Roman Catholic Church teaches that the bread and the wine become the physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's transubstantiation. Then there's the Lutheran position. It teaches that the bread of the Lord's Supper remains bread, but Christ physically comes with and in the bread. Now, one reason why the Lutherans teach this is because they believe that Christ's physical body became omnipresent upon his ascension. So, filling heaven and earth, and can be especially uh, located in the bread of the Lord's Supper. Third, there's the Zwinglian view, a view taken by probably most Christians in North America. It says, Christ is not present in the Lord's Supper at all. It's just a memorial meal. Finally, there's a reform view. 
Reformed view that we hold to is that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper, but not physically, spiritually. Now, perhaps we might want to relegate these controversies to a bygone era of church history and forget about them. But answering this question is important. It teaches us something important about the Lord's Supper. And our faith will be strengthened properly when, also when we understand what the Lord's Supper is about and Christ's presence in the Lord's Supper. Christ instituted the sacrament to deal also with our human sin. So we need to answer this question rightly. It will help us with our great need. Now we can answer the question of Christ's presence in the Lord's Supper by by asking ourselves, what kind of food do sinful people need? What kind of food do we need as sinners? And our, our reading from Mark 7 can help us here. The Pharisees, they saw some of the disciples eating with unwashed hands. So in their minds, the disciples were defiling themselves. And they held to the traditions of the elders. They washed before they ate. They thought we would not, they, they thought they wouldn't defile themselves if they washed. As we can see from Mark 7, the Lord Jesus rebuked them strongly for their man-made rules. He said, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Your teachings are his doctrines, are just simply commandments of men. Then he called the people and declared to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then later on, his disciples asked him what he was talking about, and he said, Don't you see food that enters you from the outside cannot defile you before God? just food. The problem of human sin is not physical. Christ then emphasized where the real problem lies, in our hearts. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Of course, not a, not a pretty picture that the Lord paints there of the human heart. That's what we face in our own lives too. So seeing this, we can come back to the question of Christ's presence in the Lord's Supper. What kind of food do we need as sinful people? who struggle with these sinful hearts. Well, isn't it obvious that physical food is not going to help us? Physical food cannot defile us with, defile ourselves before God. And physical food is not going to set us right with God either. Jesus said to the people, what you eat, it just enters into your stomach, but not into your heart. It's not going to change your heart where the problem lies. 
So it would not help us if, say, the bread and the wine physically became the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It would not enter into our hearts where we need it. And Jesus' words in Mark 7 shows us we need more than a memorial meal. The Lord's Supper is not just a psychological exercise. No, we need spiritual food. We need Christ to dwell in our hearts. That's what we need. It's what you all need. Christ to dwell in your heart. And this is what the Lord's Supper teaches us. Christ feeds our hearts, our souls, with spiritual food. Food that's his own person. Lord's Day 79 explains this for us when it says, Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood? Christ wants to teach us by his supper that his bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our, for our souls to eternal life. See, Ephesians, Ephesians 3, verse 17, says this. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. This is what we need. Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper in faith, as you eat the bread, as you drink the wine... It's meant to strengthen your faith that Christ is dwelling in your heart. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. And as you walk away from the table, that's where your faith is meant to be strengthened. You can walk away from the table knowing, okay, Christ does dwell in me by faith. The more Christ dwells in your heart by faith, the more also sin will be pushed out of your heart. Christ is there by his Holy Spirit. Brings us to our second point. So the Lord's Supper teaches us that we're united to Christ by faith. By partaking the Lord's Supper in faith, our union with Christ is strengthened more and more. Question and answer 79 describes this scriptural truth in this way. Through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in Christ's true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. Question and answer 80 adds the following. Through the Holy Spirit, we are grafted into Christ. Grafted, united, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Now, what are the benefits that come from our union with Christ? One of them is that Christ covers all of our sin. Catechism begins to describe this truth in Lord's Day 14 already. What benefit did you receive from the holy conception and birth of Christ? He's our mediator. With his innocence, he covers in the sight of God my sin in which I was conceived and born. 
Question and answer 79 elaborates on, on this. Christ wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge that all his suffering and obedience are certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sin. When you are united to Christ by faith, you receive his benefits. God can see you as if he was seeing his son. And he sees his saving work, what he did for us in his life and in his death. He covers our sin. See this truth proclaimed in 2 Corinthians 5. The Apostle Paul declares in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Right? God can count the saving work of Jesus Christ to your account because you are united to Christ by faith. One has died for all, therefore all have died. That's what you can say about yourself in Christ. He paid for your sins. And he goes on in verse 21, For, this, for our sake God made him, that's Christ, to be sin." who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through our union with Christ, God can count you righteous. Christ took all your sins upon himself. He gives you his righteousness. You clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. why article 15 of the belgian confession says in spite of all our wretchedness original sin is not imputed to the children of god but by his grace and mercy is forgiven them christ took it upon himself and that's the that's the good news we need think of those sins listed by jesus in mark 7 that arise out of our hearts we all have that heart, don't we? When we hear Christ listing them off, it's convicting. Things like pride, foolishness, sexual morality, theft, murder, you name it. Maybe we find one or two of those sins particularly prominent in our heart. Maybe we struggle with all of them. But none of us has a pure heart. And that's why, that's why we all need to be united to Christ. He's the only one who ever had a pure heart, all the time. His heart was always inclined to loving God and loving his neighbor as himself. Always. And so he fulfilled the law. So again, God can see us as he sees his son. What did God the Father say about his son? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And God always delighted in the work of Jesus Christ. And that work that Jesus Christ accomplished while he was on earth. God's, 
God the Father's love for that work has never faded. Right? We, we have that, our emotions, they, they fade over time, but God is still delighted in the saving work of Jesus Christ just as much today as when Christ accomplished it when he was on earth. Still delighted in that work. So if we want to find the love of God, we want to know his favor, we need to find it in Jesus Christ. Think of that confession of God the Father. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Because that's what Christ did when he was on earth. Always pleased the Father. That's why Christ is our source of, of salvation. We find the love of God in Christ. It's where the, the love of God lies. And in the Lord's Supper, we learn to direct our faith to Jesus Christ. To that obedience. It is the only ground of our salvation. Brings us to our last point. Now, we heard about the good news of our union with Christ. We are united to Christ, so God can see us as he sees his Son. But it also means something else. If Christ is living in our hearts by faith, sin will be evicted more and more. In fact, we hear something of this in the prayer before the celebration of the Lord's Supper. In that prayer, we ask God... Grant that our contrite hearts may be nourished with his true body and blood, yes, with him who is the only heavenly bread, that we may not live in our sins, but Christ in us and we in him. So we may not live in our sins, but Christ in us and we in him. Remember, Christ has taken up residence in your heart. He doesn't, he's not going to tolerate sin remaining there. He's holy. So now he calls us to live a life of repentance. He calls us to partake of the Lord's Supper with repentant hearts. Question and answer anyone asks Who are to come to the table of the Lord? And those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins. Notice that it does not say those who are without sin. We're not holy and righteous in ourselves. That's why we're coming. We need a Savior. Think again of those sins listed in Mark 7. Those things arise out of the hearts of believers. Original sin that we struggle with, which we read about in Article 15. It's not eradicated even by baptism, not by regeneration. We have a new nature in Christ, but we still struggle. And even so, all this in itself does not prevent us from partaking of the Lord's Supper. We come because we need a Savior. However, we also come with repentant hearts. A true believer is not okay with those sinful thoughts and those sinful desires that, that arise out of their hearts. 
No, a true believer is displeased because of those desires, because of those sins. Article 15 of the Belgian Confession likewise says, the mercy of God towards our original sin does not mean that believers may sleep peacefully in their sin, but that the awareness of this corruption may make them often groan as they eagerly wait to be delivered from this body of death. When we come, we desire that Christ would make us clean. That's the right attitude for coming to the Lord's Supper. And certainly there's, there's also a warning. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Right? Hypocrites, they too have original sin. They too have the sinful hearts with those evil thoughts coming out. But a hypocrite is content with that. A hypocrite is not bothered by those evil desires. But it is okay to just Let them be there and and foster them. Let them grow. Hypocrite does not fight against evil desires, but holds on to them. What happens if we say to ourselves, well, I want to hold on to these evil thoughts and desires that arise in my heart. I don't want them to go away and then still come to the Lord's Supper. You see how terrible that is? Christ gave his life, poured out his blood to pay for those sins. And he came to graciously remove those sins from our lives as well. And if we say in our hearts, I don't want Christ to take these sins away, I want to hold on to them instead and it's a confession that we, we don't want the work of Christ. We want to hold on to sin instead. And that, that amounts to an act of unbelief. So when someone has that attitude, then there's no blessing to be found in the Lord's Supper, but, but only judgment. And when someone openly displays in their life that unrepentant attitude, the church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom until they amend their lives. So let's take that warning to heart. We all have a sinful heart. We all have evil desires coming out of our heart. But believers are not content with them. They struggle against them and are sorry for them. That, of course, is difficult for us to do. And the fight against sin will be hard. There will be, lo- there will be battles lost in the fight against sin. There will be battles lost, I guarantee you. Paul himself says in Romans 7, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And we might have the same 
frustrating experience. Maybe every day. We will never be completely free from sin in this life. But remember what Paul said. I do the very thing I hate. I still, I hate it. And as we battle against sin, we do not despair, but we entrust ourselves to Christ. We trust because of his blood. Our sins and our weaknesses are covered and they are paid for. The Apostle Paul went on in Romans 7, he says, What a wretched man that I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we eat and drink at the Lord's Supper, let us do so with that same assurance of faith. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 30, the stanzas 3, 4, and 5. <clears throat>